This podcast is brought to you by Pastor Stormy Swan and Faith Church from Lubbock, Texas. For more information, please visit our website at faithchurchlubbock.com. Bless you. I'm delighted to see you in the house of God. If you're a guest, we welcome you. If you're a regular, I'm glad to see you here. You, you made it through a time change, whether you realize that or not. Some of you are really early today. Do you realize that? It's a good thing. If you need a Bible, get your hand up. Our ushers will get you one. Once you get a Bible, go with me to Proverbs 29. Proverbs 29, we're still on the fear of the Lord. Now, the, the fear of the Lord, it, it keeps me rooted and grounded in the things of God. And no matter what life throws at me, and the fear of God will just hold me right in there. And so you're going to see that big time this morning. Uh, we begin here. Man, I'm going to have to move just a little bit. I went real long the first service. So Proverbs 29, verse 25. The fear of man brings a snare. The, the fear of man has the ability to make me appear weak. I, I can be crushed by comparisons. The fear of man causes me to think, I, I just don't measure up. And so one translation says, not just the fear of man, but the intimidation of man. So when you see the fear of man, it has the ability to cause me to be an anxiety, to dread, a, a cowering effect. It has the ability to disable me. Hmm. Keep reading what he says. But whoever trusts in the Lord, whoever trusts, now I got to get to a place that I trust the Lord because if my trust in God is weak, it causes me to be unable to think and act rationally. And I, I begin to allow the fear of man to, to change the way I look at things. I, I start getting rejected and and I don't want any confrontation. And so what I do, I safeguard myself. I build these walls around me. But when my trust in God is real, he says, you shall be safe. You, you shall be secure. And so the fear of God is the only thing that will get me away from the fear of man. And so maybe this des describes you right now. Do, do you live in a perpetual state of fear of man? Does it squeeze you? Does it cause you to get off track? Go with me into the New Testament to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter number 10. And in this passage, the Lord Jesus, this will be his words. And he highlights in Matthew 10 that we're going to face some persecution let me highlight again. We're going to face some persecution in this life. And he goes on to highlight this. And he said, you will be sheep in wolves clothing. And they're going to come after you. And then he goes on to say, you're even going to have family members that are going to come against you. And then he says that you're going to be hated for his namesake. So when you stand on the name of Jesus, he's warning, get ready, things are going to begin to happen. So off of that thought right there, we begin in Matthew 10 verse 26, therefore do not fear them. 
Now, if you'll notice, this was Jesus' words. And so the word fear there means a panic that grips a person. That causes them to run away, to be alarmed, to be scared, to be frightened, dismayed, filled with dread. Do not be afraid, the Passion Translation says, or intimidated by them. Now, just off of that statement right there, let me ask you to think just a little bit. Is there any person involved in your life right now that causes you to get over in fear? Causes anxiety, causes dread. So the Lord Jesus said, don't fear them. For there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden, that will not be known. So he's saying, listen, everything's going to come out into the open. Verse 27. Whatever I tell you in the dark, speak in the light. And what you hear in the ear, preach on the housetop. So he's saying, go public. Even though you may be persecuted, nothing will, nothing will stop a disciple of Christ from publicly proclaiming the gospel if I will stand against fear. The fear of mankind, the rejection of mankind. To be bullied by mankind. To be bluffed into silence. Verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Now this was the Lord Jesus' words here and he said, don't fear those who can kill the body. In other words, don't, kill, uh, don't fear those ones who have the ability to kill you physically. Don't fear them. But rather, fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Save your fear for only God. So when we read this right here, you see there's a negative fear and there's a positive fear. There's a wrong fear and there's a right fear. But he said, fear the one who has the ability to put you in hell. This is what the Lord Jesus is saying right here. So Jesus is urging his followers, don't have a phobia of the fear of man. It's destructive. But when I live with a reverential fear of God, it's constructive. So I must address this fear syndrome. And it's real for every one of us. And, and I want you to note something. The last part of verse 28, what Jesus said, you can destroy both soul and body in hell. It's interesting, if you were to study how many times the Lord Jesus talks about hell. You know why? Because hell's a real place. And he doesn't desire any that will go there, but there will be people that will go there. Do you know in, in Mark 9, verses 44, verses 46, and verse 48, every one of them say this. Hell is a place where the maggots never end and the fire is never quenched. So Jesus is trying to get our attention here as humans. Verse 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a copper coin? Question mark. 
And so it's almost like, wait, 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 Jesus is talking about hell. And, and then he mentions these two little sparrows that are, so, are sold for a copper coin. So if you studied the copper coin, it literally meant of little value. It meant in their, in their money, a denarii. A denarii here was worth one-sixteenth of a denarii. The message says it in a way that you'll get. It says a loose change. In other words, there wasn't very much value with these little bitty sparrows. Keep reading. But not one of them, not one of these meaningless sparrows falls to the ground apart from your father's will. They don't die, even the sparrows, without the knowledge of God. One translation says, God shows up to every one of them's funeral. Even though they were viewed as insignificant. Every one of us came to church today. How many of you in here noticed one of the sparrows today? I didn't. I didn't think one thing about a sparrow today. Because we view them as common or insignificant. Now it's interesting that the Lord Jesus used sparrows instead of an exotic bird. He didn't say nothing about the cardinal, the blue jay. He didn't say nothing about a peacock. But he mentions these sparrows that even Father God pays attention to. Why? Keep reading. But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I don't know how God does it. But he knows how many hairs are on your head. And even tomorrow when some of your hairs fall out, and I know some of you, that's reality. He recalculates. And he knows the value of your head. The value of your hair. The value of your life. Now listen to what he says in verse 30. Or verse 31. Do not fear therefore. You are of more value than the many sparrows. You're, you're of more significance than any sparrow. And so again it's very easy for us to look at the sparrow as insignificant, worthless and no value. But he says, oh as much as I'm aware when the sparrow dies, I'm that much aware of you. But watch where he goes in verse 33. Verse 32, therefore whoever confesses me before men, him I also will confess before my Father who is who in heaven. Let me ask you something. Does man cause you to not acknowledge God publicly? Does man cause me to go in silence? Because he said, if you acknowledge me before men, I'll acknowledge me before the Father. But then he says, but whoever denies me before the Father, I'll also deny my Father, which is in heaven. And so you know what he's saying? You're either going to be one or the other. You're going to be an acknowledger or you're going to be a denier. But he's telling us here, don't allow mankind to get you off track. So I'm thinking about this verse right here. Just how... God knows us. He's aware of us to the smallest detail of your life. That's how much significance we have. So I'm, I'm eating dinner with a nephew of mine. 
about a week ago. And he's telling me that his son is a senior in high school and going into his senior year, he had the opportunity to go to this private school. And some of you, if you watch college football, it's called IMG Academy in Sarasota, Florida. It's nothing but a football factory. Well, his son was being recruited there to go there on track. And so they went down to visit and they were very concerned when they got there that we're going to leave our 17-year-old son in this city that's over an hour away. So the guy they meet, he reassures them, I'm going to watch over your son. I'm going to be with him most of the time. So they go into his office and he tells them, I played college football. And they said, where'd you play college football? And he goes, you've never heard of it. And he said, where at? And he said, I played college football at Eastern New Mexico University. My nephew grew up in this area and he looked at him and said, you lived in Portales? You were a Graham. That's who NMU is, the Grahams. He said, you were a Graham? And he said, yeah. And he said, but when I went to school at Eastern New Mexico University, I didn't know God at all. He said, one Sunday I was invited to go to church in a town called Clovis. And he said, I went to church at a church called Faith Church of Clovis, Faith, Faith Christian of Clovis. And my nephew looked at him and said, I'm related to them. <laughs> There's sons at that school. And it was like God had covered every detail in their life to bring a calmness that God's got this. God's got this. But we can't be deniers. We got to be acknowledgers. I'm not ashamed of Jesus. I love Jesus. Now to help us a little bit, go with me in the Old Testament to Daniel chapter 6. The book of Daniel, and you go through the major guys, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and then you'll make your way to Daniel. Daniel chapter 6. Now, as we go to Daniel chapter 6, let me give you a little insight of what's going on. Daniel is Jewish. He's a Hebrew boy. But where he's at, he's around a bunch of ungodly people. He is by far the minority, okay? And so when I read the story of Daniel, it's like the world, the ungodly, and the godly. And it gives us a, a view of a man who said, I, I live in this world, but I'm not of this world. I, I'm not called to blend in. I'm called to stand out. So I'll give you a little uh, insight here of what's going on. Daniel 6, verse 1. It pleased Iris to set over the kingdom 120 satraps to be over the whole kingdom. The word satrap is really just high-ranking officials. So this guy named Darius, he's the king. So we keep reading, fill in the blanks here, verse 2. And over these 123 governors of whom Daniel was one, that the satraps may give account to them, so the king would not suffer loss. So if you get this kind of like a pyramid, you got King Darius on top, then you got these three, which one was Daniel, which was huge. He's godly. He's a Hebrew boy, and under those three is 120. But Daniel didn't start out here, okay? 
He started out way down here, but he began to to arise. He began to get promoted. How did that happen? Verse 3. Then this Daniel distinguished himself above the governors and the satraps. That word distinguished means he stood out. He stood out. Not because of bad. He stood out. He, He got this king's attention. How did that happen? He distinguished himself because an excellent spirit was in him. Now, we don't hear that much anymore about an excellent spirit. But an excellent spirit has the meaning of what do I do and how do I do it when nobody else is watching but Father God? In other words, that excellent spirit said, I'm not going to compromise. I'm not going to cut corners. I'm I'm not going to go in the flow of the majority. Just because everybody else is doing it doesn't make it right. He lived with an excellent spirit. And many times in our lives, I read this and I think, We all want to be promoted. We all want to be elevated. But do I do what Daniel did to get there? Do I live with an excellent spirit? And everybody in here that owns a business or everybody in here that's a boss, they would say immediately, give me a thousand ones with an excellent spirit. Because you know what that means? They'll do what's right even when I'm not around. You know what an excellent spirit is? That means I'm on time for work. Oh, pastor, that hurt. If you can't say amen, say oh me. That means while I'm at work, I work hard as unto the Lord. I don't just get in the flow with everybody else. So he had this excellent spirit upon him. And the king gave thought to setting him over the whole realm. Because he gave his whole heart to everything, he he got the king's eyes. The king noticed this ungodly king. And he says, man, I, I may want to give him where he's over everybody because I know he won't slit my throat. But when you do things that are popular with God, they may not be popular with man. Verse 4. So the governors and the satraps, they sought to find some charges against Daniel concerning the kingdom. We got to dig up some old skeletons on him. And we got to have some accusations to use against him. We don't want him promoted. But they could find no charge or fault. They couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn him. I want to rewind just a second. When I talk about an excellent spirit, would that define you right now? Would that define me? Uh oh. See, when I read this, I sensed the Lord said, I. I want to elevate this. I I want the people of God to realize what this looks like to me. 
So they go after him, but they couldn't find no fault. Now listen what it says here, because. Because he was faithful. Because he was trustworthy. Would that define me? Would that define you? If we went to your place of appointment and we said, is so-and-so, are they trustworthy? Are they faithful? Oh, God, no. See what I see all this? This is how God's word begins to elevate and say, come on, come on. Let's, let's go for God. Let's do God's way. And, and what this reveals here, it's a fear of God. Nor was there any error of fault found in him. So then these men said, we shall not find any charge against this Daniel unless we find it against him concerning the law of his God. We can't find any negligence. We can't find any misconduct. Unless we go after the things of God. We got to go after his stand that he has with God. And again, this was to keep him from being promoted. Verse 6, so these governors and stray straps, they thronged before the king, and they said to him, King Darius, live forever. And so they're appealing to his pride. You're the man, king. Live forever. And so you know what this is? And I said this first service. This is my paraphrased edition. These were a bunch of butt kissers. You really didn't say that, Pastor. I did. It's all they were. Big talker, Betty Crocker. Verse 7. And all the governors of the kingdom, the administrators, the satraps, the counselors, the advisors, man, they all just start lining up. They've consulted together to establish a royal statute to make a firm decree that whoever petitions any god or man for 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions. We can't get him because of his work ethic, but you know what we'll do? We'll put in... Separation of church and state. Now, I don't know if that's what that was. That's kind of just thrown in there. Verse 8. Now, O king, establish the decree that the sign, the writing, so that it cannot be changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which does not alter. It does not pass away. It cannot be revoked. Therefore, King Dyer signed the written decree. Uh-oh. So all these, these men, these officials knew Daniel's distinctive characteristics could also be his point of vulnerability. His, his steadfast commitment to God. They said, this is how we're going to get him. Now let me ask you off of that right there. Could they get you off of that? Could they get me off of that? where they said, we can't find negligence in his conduct or his misbehavior, but we're going to get him because he serves God. Verse 10. Now, when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went on home. And he got under his bed and he pulled up the covers and the sheets. He went home. And in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem... He's not a closet Christian. He's not just 
the saying on Sunday. He's not someone that serves God when it's easy and it's convenient. He realizes his life is on the line. And what does he do? He opens up the curtains. And he knelt down on his knees. God forbid that I'd ever get in front of my knees in front of people. But I'm either going to be an acknowledger or I'm going to be a denier. And he gets down on his knees three times that day, not just Sunday morning. And he prayed. Prayed. He wasn't doing it to impress people. This guy, he did this three times a day because this was his lifeline. Do do we see that Daniel had a disciplined prayer life? I got to pray. We got to pray just to make it today. And he prays. Keep reading. And he gave thanks before his God as was his custom since early days. As was usual since his early days. He prayed. He gave thanks. He praised God. Day by day by day. This was his custom. This is what he had done. Now, does that describe me? Does that describe you? No, I only get on my knees when life's coming at me. But now we begin to see a change within We see the real heart of this guy. That everything he did, it shows, I fear God more than I fear man. Verse 11. Then these men, they they assembled. And they found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. So you know what this happens? They catch him in the act. They catch him red-handed. And God bails him out, not. They sling him in the lion's den. Verse 16. So the king gave the command and they brought Daniel and they cast him into the den of the lions. But the king spoke saying to Daniel, your God, this ungodly king says, your God, whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. And when I read that, I look and I think, Daniel had left an impression on this ungodly king that that king said, your God, whom you serve continually. So would my life be identified with, do I serve God continually? Do we? And he said, he'll deliver you. So they sling him in there. Verse 19, then the king rose very early in the morning, went in haste to the den of the lions. So the king, he knew they had done him wrong, but he didn't have the guts to stand up to him. So he gets up early the next morning and I believe he's running to where the lions are. He doesn't even get coffee. He takes off and he says, I gotta get there. And he gets there in verse 20, it says, and when he came to the den, he cried with a lamenting voice, a loud voice, a grievous voice. Daniel, servant 
of the living God. Would anybody in your family, your workplace, would they say your name and then say, the one who serves God continually? See, he left his mark upon all these. They knew he was an all-in Christian. He stood out. He didn't blend in. Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then David said to the king, O king, live forever. In other words, lighten up, king. I got it. No worries. And it's interesting to me how he addresses him. He says, O king, live forever. Even in the midst of being in the lion's den, he didn't bash him. He didn't say, you stupid idiot. He honors him. Verse 22. My God. Daniel said, my God. Sent his angels and shut the lion's mouth that they have no hurt at me. Because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I've done nothing wrong before you. I've never cheated you. I've never lied from you. I've never stolen from you. I've never mocked you. Oh, pastor, please quit. Do you know one thing I begin to find out about the great men and women of the Bible? They wouldn't dishonor those that were in authority over them. I read about King David that all the things that happened to him before he became king under Saul, he wouldn't be critical of him. He wouldn't rip him. He wouldn't judge him. He would honor him. So I'm reading this book about King David. And I'm reading all those things, how he was a man of honor. There are a couple pastors in our nation who have done some things here recently. They just PO'd me. Personally offended me, okay? And I was a situation, and I talked a little bit about them, and I said, this one, this one. And the Holy Spirit began to move and said, don't speak against my anointed. Don't judge them. Don't be critical of them. See, we live in a world, it's easy to judge and be critical. What you got to do is watch the news. We're criticizing. Anybody in here criticizes? Anybody got a problem? I, I'm, I can be very critical. That's one of the things I have to repent of every day, being critical and judgmental. Anybody in here like that? Oh, Pastor, it's just you. You knucklehead. Well, okay, I'm guilty. But I look at how critical we are. You can turn your TV on right now. Let's see here. Let's criticize Elon Musk. Let's criticize Joe Biden. Let's criticize Kyrie Irving. Let's I mean, the list is over and over. It's easy to be critical. That's the flow of the world. But yet for me to look in the eyes of God and be what God's desire and for us to arrive in the destiny that God has us for, Maybe we ought to tattoo James 1.19 on us. What does that say, Pastor? This is going to hurt. Be swift to hear and slow to speak. 
Any of you got a problem? I do. Sometimes I'm swift to speak and I'm slow to hear. Thank God he didn't give me two mouths and one ear. Thank God. Whew. But he honors. Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury, whatever, was found on him because he believed in his God. He just believed in God. That simple. He just trusted God. You know what I believe in Daniel's life? You know what he knew? He knew he was in a win-win situation. You know what I mean by that? Just what the Apostle Paul said in Philippians 1. He said, for me to die is the gain. To depart and be with Christ is far better. And so you know what he said? I'm, I'm not desiring to die right now. But if I do, guess what my reward is? I get to go to heaven. Where there's no more crying, no more tears. So he knew he's going to win. I'm going to trust God. And the king gave the command. And they brought those men who accused Daniel and they cast him to the den of the lions. Them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Those lions, they weren't dieting when Daniel was in there, okay? God protected him. Verse 25, then King Darius wrote, to all the people's nations and languages that dwell on all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. Verse 26, I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble. Men must what? Men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel, for he's the living God and steadfast forever. Now, it's interesting, he said, that they must uh, tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. He never said it was his God. But yet, because of this guy named Daniel, his commitment to God, he continually served God, he lived with an excellent spirit, this ungodly king said, Man, you got to fear God. You got to tremble before the presence of God. And when I read that, I thought, did this happen because of the example that Daniel modeled? That Daniel said, watch me. Watch me. I'll serve him continually. See, I can't allow the fear and the approval of man to distort what God wants to do for me. And what I found out about this in life for every one of us we're either influencers or we're going to be influenced. Every one of us. And sometimes we got to do this thing called relational surgery. You're going to have to prune some folk out of your life, those ungodly ones. Doesn't mean you're better than them. It just means I fear God more than I fear you. Fun? Not always. One last passage. Go with me to, to the 118th Psalm. Ooh, goodness of God. I tell you, God is raising the bar right now, I believe. Psalm 118. Verse 6. The Lord is on my side. Ooh, thank God. 
And because the Lord is on my side, I will not fear what man can do to me. Wow. Grace me in that, Father God, right there. Grace me. Because when the fear of man comes upon me, and it changes us. But he said, what man can do to me? The Lord is for me among those who help me. Therefore, I shall see my desire. I shall see my triumph on those who hate me. That's exactly what Daniel did. He, he let the vengeance be God. He didn't do it himself, but he watched all them folk get chewed up. It is better to trust in the Lord than to put confidence in man. It is better to trust in the Lord to put confidence in princes or celebrities. Now this is Bible right here. And so what, what you allow is what you promote. What you permit is what you promote. And my identity comes by whom I follow. If I follow man, I'll allow man to be my identity. But when I follow God, God becomes my identity. Now, off of everything we've said today, let me ask you a question. Are you a confessor, an acknowledger of the Lord? Or are you a denier? I'm not talking just about salvation. I'm talking about day by day by day by day. And I want to be an acknowledger of God. I want my life to be marked by God. Why don't you stand up here with me? Thank you once again for joining us on this podcast. To check out more services from Faith Church, you can find our live broadcast on YouTube or check out our website at faithchurchlubbock.com for more information on upcoming events, how to give, and how you can get involved.